let's talk for a minute about war. Okay? Guess what? You and I are in a war. And I'm not talking just about the ones that we read about and hear about on television and read about in the newspaper. Um, uh, years ago, centuries ago, um, a book was written by a Chinese general named Sun Tzu. His classic work called The Art of War offers kind of timeless pearls of wisdom on how to fight a war. And, and most um, great military minds um, study that. Uh, basically, it's going to say this. Uh, pretty simply, it's got, it emphasizes three principles critical to success at war. First of all, knowing yourself. Number two, knowing your enemy. That seems kind of simple, doesn't it? But, but smart, nonetheless. And then third, being prepared for every circumstance, every eventuality. All right? That just sounds like great advice if I'm in a war. Now, now I think about um, even that's great advice for a, a football coach or a basketball coach too, isn't it? Know yourself, know what you've got, know your enemy, and do your best to know every circumstance that might, might come your way, okay? Now, spiritual warfare is a little bit different. Still, those are pretty good, that's pretty good advice. But the Apostle Paul is going to write to us about uh, spiritual warfare in our text today from Ephesians 6. And uh, to him, there are three principles essential to success that are slightly different in spiritual warfare. Can I tell you again, we are in a war. You're in a war right now. Okay? I am in a spiritual battle right now. And Paul's going to say, uh, essential to success in a spiritual battle is, number one, um, being aware of your situation. Number two, and that's interesting, it's kind of similar, right, in, in one way. Advance preparation. That's a lot of what we're going to talk about today. And then third, support, mutual support during the time of trial, during the, the time of conflict. Okay? Now, as you can see, that, that has both kind of a physical side and the spiritual side that we're going to get into. Let me give you a little bit of background on the text that we're going to study today as you turn to Ephesians 6. Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians while he was especially conscious of the stakes that you and I would face in battle. Let me explain. He had planted churches across the Roman world for uh, a little over 20 years since his conversion. Um... He had been arrested in Jerusalem during a riot. You can read about that in Acts 21. And a corrupt governor there refused to resolve his case. So after he, he cooled his heels in jail for about two years, Paul appeals as a Roman citizen to Caesar, and they send him to, to Rome. And then he sits in jail for another, um, for another couple of years under house arrest in Rome, waiting for trial waiting for this appeal, waiting for a hearing uh, before the emperor. During that time, Paul writes letters to the churches that he had started back in the east, including the one to the Ephesians, that he, this group of people that he just dearly loved. And he, he talks to them a little bit about, a lot about their lives, about spiritual warfare. And all the while, he's dealing with the battle that he's in for his life, and the spiritual battle he's in for his soul, 
And one little particular wrinkle I want us to think about before uh, we, we get into the text this morning is I think, I think that today's text, beginning with verse 10 in Ephesians 6, which is very familiar to a lot of us that have read the Bible very much, I think it may have stemmed from, remember he's under house arrest. I wonder if he looked up on one of those many, many days 700 and some when he's under house arrest in Rome and sees a Roman guard who's kind of standing at the door and says, this dude is ready for battle. I wonder what it would take for me to be as ready for spiritual battle as this guy is for war. And he begins to describe it and and kind of make that correlation with us. Uh, I really think that that may have been what happened. Now, let's go to verse 10 and uh, read 10 down through 12. Bob, you mind to read those three verses? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. But on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's Beautiful language, and we're going to kind of try to unpack it here in just a minute. But let me back up just a little bit and say, before we get to verse 10, Paul has been talking about for uh, a couple of chapters then, for the last couple of chapters, has been talking about ways that true faith in Christ expresses itself in daily living. Okay, So in um, uh, this includes unity among believers in chapter 4. It includes speaking truthfully and dealing with people honestly. That's toward the end of chapter 4. Uh, it deals with extending forgiveness to, the, to those who need forgiveness. That's in 432. It um, talks about avoiding sexual sin in, in the first few verses of chapter 5. It talks about being a good spouse and being a good parent in the middle verses of chapter 5. Uh, and, and over in, into the beginning verses of, of chapter 6. And then it talks literally about, if you ever wonder about what my attitude ought to be at work, begin with first, verse 9 in this chapter we're currently in. Verse, verse 5 through 9 talks about having a good work ethic. Uh, but it just really begins to flesh out for us in these couple of chapters how to live as a Christian, as a moral, ethical Christian in this world. Now he turns then and says, seeing all these things, <clears throat> you need to know this. And he begins to talk about spiritual warfare. Now, what you and I need to know in verse 10 is that left to our own dev devices, and that's what goes in your first blank there. We do have an outline today, don't we? I kept saying that, what, two or three weeks ago, and you, you looked at me like I'd thrown a, grown a third eye, um, which I may have. Left to our own devices... None of us can become the person God wants us to be. Would you agree with that statement? Left to our own devices, none of us can become the person God wants us to be. I think that's what Matt's dealing with in this series. I think this is right in line with what Matt is kind of dealing with in the uh, Eating an Elephant series on, on uh, personal holiness. Um, but here's the good news, okay? God hasn't left us to our own devices, Left to my own devices, I'm going to fail every time. Left to my own devices, I'm not going to get better and better and better. I'm going to become worse and worse and worse. 
Is that true in your life like it is in mine? If you leave the garden, if, 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 you, if you plow the garden and plant the seed and then leave it alone, it won't turn out flowers, vegetables, or anything but weeds and nastiness. Okay? The truth is that God hasn't left me to my own devices. According to verse 10, His mighty power is available to me. It's not just some kind of power. It's the power in the universe and it's available to you and to me. I think that's worth celebrating. Now, by the way, I never can blame the outline on anybody but me. That's a horrible thing. I left a word out of the next sentence here in verse 11. It is good to know. But write the word good in there between, uh, between there. It is good to know then that God has not left us defenseless. You can work, use the word defenseless or uh, unequipped. God has not left us defenseless or unequipped for spiritual success. And, and, and Paul's going to talk about all, these, all this armament that you and I need and that we ought to avail ourselves to. Here's the question, though, I think. How often do I avail myself of those things that are going to ensure my success? Sometimes I just leave them in the corner, don't I? Maybe that's only me. But the truth is, even though God has equipped me and given me everything I need for spiritual success, sometimes I don't avail myself of those things, those items, those commodities that he's provided. So the first thing I need to know here is that God has not left me defenseless. He's not left me ill-equipped or unequipped. And secondly, God helps me to identify the enemy. Let's see what God's word says in another place about the enemy. Uh, would somebody run over to 1 Peter? You're going to go right for a little ways. 1 Peter 5.8. You'll recognize this, I think. 1 Peter 5.8. Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us kind of a, a picture of what the enemy is like. And we're going to talk a little bit in a minute about what he's like. 1 Peter 5.8. Somebody got it? Be alert, self-controlled and alert, realizing that the devil is what? Is like what? Like a lion. Never been around a lion except behind a, behind a fence or a cage or whatever. Don't want to be. Okay? A roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, what, what you guys, and what we have to understand is that there is an enemy of your soul and his ultimate victory is your spiritual defeat. He's working at it 24-7, 365 to defeat you. Okay? You can call him whatever you want to. You can, you can conjure whatever mental image you want to in your mind. But what is necessary is recognizing that there is an enemy and he's trying to undo you right this minute. In fact, he's saying to you right now, it is that voice in your left ear that is saying to you, this guy is an idiot. Now, he's somewhat right in that. <laughs> As the Holy Spirit is saying in your other ear, okay, deal with this. This is going to help you. All right, now, so the Lord helps us. Uh, he hasn't left us defenseless, and he helps us here 
uh, and in other places to define, to kind of identify the enemy. Now, let's read verse 12 again. I'll read it to you. There's an interesting thing that I began to uncover and think about this week. Um, and don't, don't tag me a heretic yet. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So the devil is not uh, corporal, flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, I've got to think about a little bit about the place where the devil and his minions are. The enemy of my soul and his minions are. Where are they? We have a tendency to think that God and the angels are up there, right? And that the devil and his buddies are down there. And that's not exactly a, a, a bad thing to think of, but according to the verse that's before us here, um, I think we've got to think about this a little differently. Let's look in a couple of other places, okay? Somebody turn back a page and read 2-2, two, two, Ephesians 2-2. Two, two. Can I get somebody to do that? I want somebody else to run over to, and here's another typo of mine, John 14-30. Steve Blair, would you go to John 14-30? Since your knee's feeling better today? Okay. All right, and then I need somebody else to go to Job one seventeen. Who one seven? Sorry, who'll go to that one? Thank you, Wayne. Okay, let's let, let's go there now. Somebody find two two. Read it to us. Now, Miriam, it's clear to me he's talking about the devil. And he calls him the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now, let's think about that for a minute. The ruler of the kingdom of the air. Okay? There's, a, um, there's another verse I put there in, in uh, chapter 3 that kind of gives us a similar idea. Uh, uh, Steve, is it you that got John 14, 30? Jesus calls him, again, the enemy, calls him the prince of this world. Now, as long as I think he's in hell and has no access to me, I feel falsely secure. Right? Okay? The prince of the air, the prince of this world, that's interesting here. We're kind of making a case. Um, I've been reading through the book of Job in my, in my uh, quiet time. Job 1.7 kind of gives us another concept. Wayne, is that you? As we start this kind of um, this dialogue between God and Satan over, this, over the fate of Job, where is he? He's here. And he is, uh, Jesus says, he's the prince of this world. And then... Um, uh, Paul in this other place in Ephesians says he's, he's, a, he's the prince of the air. So the idea is there is a heavenly realm somewhere between here and heaven that is occupied by both the devil's minions and the Lord's angels. And Satan is active there. He has direct access to you and me. Now that, that's kind of scary to me, but, but I, I think we ought to kind of know that. By the way, I want to constantly say as we're describing him that greater is he that is in you than he is in the world okay I've just got to hang on to that I think that's 1 John 4 4 somewhere in there um, I don't have to be scared of him because the Lord is on my side but I got to know 
where he is and what he's doing. He is not just relegated to somewhere else. He is active in this world. Read the newspaper. The devil is active in this world. Brett, what you and I talked about earlier today, the devil is active in this world. Okay? I don't want to make any mistake about that. All right, now. So, the idea here is that he's accessible or has access to this world. And what I then need to understand according to verse 12 is that flesh and blood people are not the real enemy. Can I catch you? Can you hang on to me with, with me on that idea? Flesh and blood people are not the real enemy. In fact, you could argue that flesh and blood people that do evil things are the victims of the enemy. What do you think? Flesh and blood people who do things that you and I don't like. Flesh and blood people who hurt other people. Flesh and blood people who allow evil to reign in their lives are really victims of, emissaries of in some ways, of the devil himself. I don't want to be that person. There is victims. So just, I want to throw out a question. How will you recognize, before we go on to verse 13, how will you recognize the devil when he shows up at your place? Is he always going to have you know, a red union suit, horns, a forked tail, and a, and a pitchfork? I, you know, as long as he did, by the way, he'd be pretty easy to pick out in a crowd, wouldn't he? But I'm telling you, I have felt his sulfurous breath on my neck. When he was... When the, there was no clarity. It was clear to me who was doing this, but it, was, it wasn't real clear that it was him in terms of by, by vision. Bob? Yeah. I've probably told you guys this story, so let me, let me bore you with it again. But <clears throat> Dad had just died. I was 47 years old and recognized that... Um, I was an orphan, which was just a funny thought for a 47-year-old guy. I have no brothers and sisters, so it was like I felt very alone. I remember calling Skip. I was going to your place two or three weeks after that. I remember calling you saying, I'm calling you to tell you I'm leaving town because I don't know that anyone else really cares. Because I've been checking on mom and dad for years, you know, letting them know every, okay. And I'm in the upstairs part of the house we were living in then, and I am um, kind of working. We hadn't even done Dad's service yet. It was, he died like maybe the day before or a couple of days before. And I remember feeling this hot breath on my neck. Now, this isn't literal, okay? All right? I didn't see the, the shrubs part and, you know, none of that kind of stuff. But I'm thinking about what I'm going through and the grief that I'm experiencing and celebrating my dad's eternal life in Christ. And the devil said to me, you think he's alive, don't you? <laughs> you think he's still living, don't you? And I remember thinking, well, where did that thought come from? Oh, I know where it came from. It had sulfur all over it. You know? And so, armed with the word of God, I was able to Counter right back to him, oh yes, I know he lives. 
I know he lives because my Jesus said he lives. All right, now, get the idea here. We've got an enemy that's not dressed in red. I'm sorry. Okay? It won't be that easy. It's going to be much more nuanced than that. If I'm going to figure out where that's coming from. All right, now, let's go on to 13. Somebody read 13 down through 17. You've heard this about the armor, putting on the full armor of God. Let's see if we can kind of approach it from a little bit of an oblique direction here and, and yet deal with it. Preparation is needed. If I'm going to deal with the enemy in my life, preparation is needed against any surprise attack from him. Now, he begins to say, talk about standing your ground. If I'm going to stand my ground. And I've got to kind of deal with and I think this is what's kind of in harmony with what Matt's been dealing with last Sunday and we'll be dealing with for the next two or three. What is the ground for which we fight? Stand your ground. You know, the idea is I'm armed, I, I'm uh, uh, equipped, and I'm, I'm standing my ground in this piece of ground. What is the ground? I, I think we need to know. Your heart, certainly. Is that what you're saying, Joe? I'm sorry? I think it is your faith. I think it is my heart, my faith. Um, I wrote it this way. Our faith and our faithfulness to a godly lifestyle. Our faith, what is kind of the core belief of myself, and my commitment then, or my faithfulness to... A godly lifestyle. I think that's kind of what Matt's kind of dealing with on Sunday morning. Yeah. It kind of goes back to what we said a few minutes ago, doesn't it? How many of us are kind of availing ourselves of that? Now, what I've got to deal with here, I think, is um, is. This is all around me. Remember, he's the prince of the air. Prince of this world. It's all around me, trying to defeat me. And I don't want to be surprised by it. Okay, so, um, what I got to, I, I got to kind of recognize that and stand my ground to say, you're not going to have me. You're not going to have my lifestyle. You're not going to take my faith from me. Um. In the era of the Cold War, as it dawned, the U.S. started developing a massive nuclear weapons arsenal. Um, plans for they put together plans for mass evacuation of American cities. Um, they, you remember, uh, even, even before we thought about tornado shelters, we were building underground shelters. They were kind of bomb shelters. You remember that? I remember that in the 60s when I was growing up. Doomsday seemed to be a really, very real possibility 
But then that scary period kind of passed into history with the fall of the Soviet Union. But in a way, we live in a more desperate day now. Um, we face uh, various kinds of terrorism at the ha hands of religious radicals, uh, against cyber attacks on industries and infra infrastructure, uh, against your own credit card for crying out loud, against um, shootings that occur in schools or theaters, public places that we read about. It, it's just interesting. I kind of wish we'd go back to being worried about somebody pushing the red button. It was much simpler, wasn't it? Much less... Uh, much less sophisticated, much less sophisticated in some ways. Let me tell you what: Satan is involved in your life in guerrilla warfare. It's hit and run, surprise attack, day after day after day after day. I've got to be prepared for it. Uh, to to operate in in the face of that kind of attack. If it helps you to put it in the frame that I will put it in. Satan is a terrorist. And he's got a, an army of little terrorists working for him. Okay? Now, let's go on to verse 14. So, then he begins to talk about what equipment's needed. Remember, I, I said, I think he may have been looking at a guy that had all this on. You know, and so he starts to talk about the different pieces of their armor. Let me let's just go quickly through this. He he would say then uh, the first thing in verse fourteen is needed is what a belt, the right belt. The belt kind of held things together. Uh, it was more than just to hold their pants up. They weren't probably wearing pants. Okay, so uh, it's the idea is this belt of truth. Now, what I want to say is, and I got to be real careful with this. I've got to have surrounding me the right truth. Okay? The right truth. That's not to imply for a moment that there is more than one truth. I'm just saying there is the truth, and according to Jesus, that will set you free. But I've got to be armed with it. Uh, a true life. Uh, how I live out my faith tells, says something about what I believe. To have the right truth around me. Then secondly, it talks about then, um, what, what's the second piece of armor? I'm sorry? Breastplate, okay. This is something probably made out of leather and a little bit of metal. Um, quite a bit of metal maybe. Uh, surrounded to, to uh, that would um, uh, protect them from a frontal attack uh, or, or from behind as well. Uh, in our day, you want to think about a policeman or a soldier's flak jacket. Okay? Tori, you got one of those? I figured you probably did. Are you wearing it today? Okay. No. All right. Okay. I, I thought you trusted us more than that, but I wanted to be sure. Protects vital organs, right? This issue is, and by the way, this image comes from way back in Isaiah 59. The same imagery is used. The idea of this breastplate that surrounds me is the breastplate of righteousness. Um, uh, and I'm going to say what, what that's talking about is a consistent character. A consistent character. The right truth and a consistent character. Now, in verse 15, he talks about footwear, 
And I get to thinking about that. What kind of footwear is needed for um, uh, this Roman soldier and, and, uh, and, uh, that Paul is kind of looking at here? And I recognize that footwear is all important, although their footwear wouldn't have been kind of what ours would be. But footwear was necessary nonetheless. I read a story this week about in 1862, during America's Civil War, Robert E. Lee's offensive in, of September of that year into Maryland was greatly hindered because not many of his soldiers had shoes. Improper or no footwear. Isn't it interesting? In our day, we just don't think about that, do we? Um, but the idea here is that I need a protective footwear, and the idea is, he identifies it, as the, it's not the gospel of peace itself, but the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Remember through this whole section, we're talking about being ready for the attack. The readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, our faith, in verse 16, is described as a protective shield. Uh, the Romans would use what was known as a scutum. It was a kind of a semicircular um, uh, wood and, and metal um, uh, device that they could literally link together, get behind, and they were pretty impervious to attack at that point if they were working together. My faith is a shield for my soul. Joe, when you pointed to your heart a while ago, my faith is a protective shield for my soul. And then the last one he talks about in verse 17, last two, is the, the helmet, the helmet of salvation. What I want to say here is this, this helmet uh, includes an assurance of your salvation. Protecting my head. I, I looked up um, in my work last, yesterday, looked up um, what the helmet looked like. There was, a, there was several really technical things about a Roman's helmet. There was a lip here, that kept really protecting them from getting a, a, a temple hit, you know, from, a, from an arrow or from a, uh, uh, or a spear. And then there was this duck bill back here. If you, if you ever see a, a real Roman helmet, look at it. There's this duck bill thing back here that protected their neck. I mean, it's like, and I began to think about, you know, the only thing that was really exposed was their eyes. Isn't that interesting? I, that's a sermon for another day, but... The assurance of my salvation. First John 5 says, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. I need to know that. I need to know that I know that I know that I'm his. That provides a helmet over my head. And then, of course, the sword which may be used for defense or offense. Hebrews 4 talks about how that sword is sharp, piercing the word of God. I can use it to defend the attack of someone who's challenging my faith, but I also need to be prepared to use it as an offensive weapon, to share it, to be out front. Primarily that truth is not just given to me for defense. It's given me for offense. Now, defense may win games, but I've never heard of a team ever winning without at least a little bit of offense, right? I need to be able to move forward. 
I want us to read one more verse. Somebody read Ephesians 6.18. What's it telling us to do in this battle? Pray, pray, pray. pray. It really does. I mean, it's like like when my uncle taught me to play golf. When your dad taught me to play golf, he said, remember the three rules of golf. Keep your head down. Keep your head down. Number three, keep your stupid head down. Okay. Uh, Pray, pray, pray. Yeah. Um, It's interesting here that prayers during warfare ought to be, according to this verse, number one, frequent. Write the reference 1 Thessalonians 5.17 beside that. There it just basically says pray without ceasing. Pray constantly, frequent, and then pray a spiritual quality of prayer. The idea here is that the Spirit of God is an open channel to God like a messenger from the front lines sending a message from you to the commander saying, here's what's going on. And the commander sends it back saying, okay, here's what you're supposed to do. Praying in the Spirit. And praying, not just for myself, but for every one of you. And I need your prayers for me. Now, here's the last application we'll go. You and I are never going to know when the battle will come. You know? I would like to tell you that, uh, that you're going to be able to go through life whistling. But that ain't the way it is, is it? I never know. He catches me by surprise at the funniest and most vulnerable of times. So, the idea here is, and I wonder if Paul is thinking about this with this guy. I wonder if he's thinking, this guy didn't put on his armor... B- after he showed up for work. He put it on before he showed up for work. I've got to put on spiritual armor before the battle. The Christian life isn't a passive life, folks. And the more passive I become in the the warfare that I try to fight, the more vulnerable and susceptible I am to the enemy's destruction in my life. I want to remind you of three things we believe that Paul's saying here. Okay, you ready? First of all, I need to be aware of my situation. I need to have advanced preparation. And, really important for you and me, I've got to have support during conflict. That's going to come to me from the Holy Spirit, and it's going to come from you. Please pray for me as I pray for you. Bless you. We're going to be next week, we're going to go over the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and read about the baptism of Jesus as we finish up this little series, okay? See you next week. Thanks.